I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. It's our concluding installment of episode 20, and in it, Graham McMillan and I talk about more of everything. X-Men's recent vampire storyline, DC Legacy and the 75th anniversary, the state of Superman, the marketing acumen of Mark Miller, Tron Legacy, and quick reviews of The Social Network, Redline, and The Informant. We hope you enjoy it. Your minds might just be blown. <laughs> Still don't have the uh, issue yet, unfortunately. <laughs> That's strange, seeing as I uh, asked you an hour ago whether that was the case, and then we spent the next hour talking. I'm really surprised <laughs> that you didn't, in the two minutes episodes for us recording i know it's been a day for you listeners um run out to the store magically buy it and then come back with flash-esque speed i i tried i tried very very hard how far did you get uh the bathroom then did you have to just take a minute <clears throat> i did i did and then i was like uh, yeah then i checked the watch and i'm like yeah that kind of threw off my timing here so yeah it's true. I, I I am looking forward to your new series about the man who only has super speed when he needs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> that would be great. The piddler. Uh... <laughs> I was thinking more solid, as we said. I was thinking, like, he's like, that was great. My bowels have definitely moved. <laughs> My powers, they've, they've gone. Joke. Joke. Well done. Some fine, fine shout-outs. Uh, callbacks done there. A, a callback to, uh, quite some time ago. Hey, so I have to ask, are you reading the X-Men, um, the X-Men books, the, the vampire one? No. No, I'm not. I am I'm putting it forward, because it's, it's getting near the end of the year, as you know. I'm putting it forward as uh, just the most underwhelming, uh, for no good reason, superhero comic of the year. <laughs> Those who, like me, have been putting themselves through this for no immediately obvious reason. Because I'll admit, I have no idea why I'm still buying it. But I am. So, wow, you, you know, are still buying it. Yeah, I, I don't know why. It's not like I'm enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> the end of the fourth issue, mm-hmm. or maybe third issue, I can't remember what issue we're on, saw um, Wolverine turned into a vampire by Jubilee. Mm. You may think... How does Wolverine get turned into a vampire exactly? Doesn't he have a healing power? Right. Uh, and then, you know, let's just get past it. He's a vampire. He's not just a vampire. He's a smack-talking vampire. He's a vampire who literally phones up Scott Summers and talks smack. <laughs> After four issues of um, of the build-up that the vampires are going to attack the X-Men, and it is going to be disastrous because there are what 200 x-men at best there's 200 mutants in the world at best right uh, and there's a h- hordes of vampires about to attack them okay in the fifth issue they attack okay uh-huh. they attack the x-men and scott summers is like okay all of you x-men who can be bitten go inside all of you x-men who have like super hard skin you're you're the ones doing the fighting which has some sense to it, also a bit ludicrous if you consider it's supposed to be like hundreds of vampires versus like, you know, 20 X-Men. Yeah. Um, they've been building up this battle for quite some time. Four issues. Right. The battle begins, goes on for maybe like four pages, then Wolverine appears. And Wolverine mm-hmm. is a vampire and he's a smack-talking vampire, remember? So he's been sent down by Dracula's son to talk smack and break the X-Men's spirit. Of course. <laughs> then... In what can only be described as the most ludicrous plot development ever. Scott Summer says, Oh, I never told you. I remote controlled switched off your healing power. Now I've switched it back on. You're not a vampire anymore. And then it cuts to, in like maybe three pages, the not only the end of the battle, but the battle being over and all the vampires being dead. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really, really bad. Um, and then Wolverine, who, not, even though he's not a vampire, still talks smack. Talks smack to Dracula's son. Uh, he says, and I quote, 
Hear me in there, you fang-faced bastards. It's your old pal, Logan. I'm coming for your Zaris. I want you to wait right there. I won't be long. Here's today's newsflash. You lose. And when the X-Men get there, we're going to do to you what we did to your pals. Because, you know, he just wants to give them a heads up. We're coming. We're going to kill hundreds of you. Then it cuts to um, Dracula's son, who's like, send in the second wave. And the bomber's like, we don't have a second wave. That was all of our forces. So, again, let me just tell you what they're saying. All of the evil vampires in the world, with the exception of, like, the five or so in this room, are dead. Because the X-Men have just killed them pretty much off-panel. Um, and then Dracula comes in and he's like, now I can take charge. Do you not remember before the series launched, they're like, this will be the biggest thing to happen to the Marvel Universe since Civil War. How? They've just killed off all the fucking vampires. I mean, don't get me wrong, I know they can vampire lots of more people if they want. Sure. But they've just demonstrated how fucking easy it is to beat vampires. You don't even need to show it happening, dude. Well, it that... just happens off panel, because Wolverine's awesome, because he's got remote control healing powers. Oh, man. It's... I, I, this... Oh, I, they allowed this to be published. <laughs> The, the indignant sputtering at the end was actually my best <laughs> favorite part. I mean, there was it was all good, but that was the best part. Certainly. That's the plot of the X-Men comic with vampires. <laughs> oh, and do you, know, do you know one of the vampires left alive? Jubilee. Of course, because she's got a half her own series. Yeah, yeah the spin-off series. Because I guess what I'm hoping for for the spin-off series. First of all, I'm hoping it will actually be good because Catherine Eminem is writing it and she's a good writer. Mm-hmm. But I'm also hoping that the plot will be, she will be like, I'm feeling kind of hungry. And Wolverine will be like, have some steak. And that's it for like four issues or however long it is. Because let's face it, they're not going to be like, Jubilee is actually a vampire and she's going out to kill people. That's not going to happen. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, let's face it, the X-Men vampire thing, which they were trying to hype as a huge event, I'm still having trouble seeing, A, why they thought that anyone would think that that was a huge event. Oh, I, I can answer that in one word. Yes. Twilight. I'm entirely serious. Really? Because I, I would lay money on it, on it being a very, very, very ill-timed, ill-considered uh, attempt to catch in on, catch in on Twilight. Because if that's the case, like, Marvel has become, like, almost Bob Haney-era DC in terms of, like, so missing the, the, the boat as far as what's what's it trending and, and how to make it even work. Like, who would confuse the X-Men, like, a group book with billions of characters uh, with Twilight just because you have to have vampires in it, you know? I mean, let's I'm, face it. Like, I'm not sure they were looking for anyone to confuse it. I think they're just looking to be like, oh, vampires are hot. <laughs> I mean, I, I genuinely think that's what it was. Because remember, this is not an idea that came from anyone in creatives. This was David Gabriel's idea. Oh, really? Yeah. This was da- well, let me tell you, David Gabriel, you are a butt. I don't know if you're listening to the <laughs> podcast. Really? He's a butt? You are a butt, sir. Let me tell you, you are somebody's hind end that makes pooping noises. I'm not going to mince words here. A butt. That's I mean, harsh. I know, I but it had to be said. Because really... Here, here's my question, Jeff. Can I take that to the bank? <laughs> you can take that to the bank and cash it. Did you see the... Uh, oh, what's that webcomic? They did a, f- that, a fantastic uh, thing where he was like, you know what? You are awesome, and you can take that to the bank and cash it. And... <laughs> And then, like, two panels later, he's like, also, I have some checks. If you could take those to the bank and cash it. And then the last panel is him going, like, hurry up. The bank closes in, like, five minutes, you know? And it's, it's just great. Uh, I wish I could uh, which title was that. It was really funny. And I'm not not only am I not doing it justice, but I can't find it. Uh, well, anyway, I will I will update us. Sadly, my, my feed for webcomics and comics is such a mess. One's the other, and the other is not the other. Um, it's not by Foom. It's... By yes. Foom? Goodbye, Foom! Um, hmm, it's in the Friends S's. of old Marvel? Yes, exactly. I... No, it's not pictures for sad children. Why do I keep doing that? 
What? I don't even know what that is. Why are you looking at pictures of sad children? That's really cruel. It's it's. Do, the... do, you, do you gain pleasure from looking at pictures of sad children? Well, of course I do. Who who doesn't? Um, hmm, dude, I'm having a difficult time finding this. It was just right in front of me. Oh well. Anyway. So while your brain is is melting down, I'm going to talk about another comic I read recently. DC Legacies number seven. As you remember, DC Legacies is a series I've been enjoying, and you haven't been. Uh, yes. Recounting the history of the DC universe. All I can say is this. Issue 7, which I believe is called Doomsday, exclamation point, um, and catches up with the early 90s, um, perfectly captures the early 90s in that it's just bland. It's it's not good. It's not bad. It's just there. It helps that it's drawn by Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway, who, let's not forget, drew most of these stories in the first place. Right. But in, in recounting, in terrifying um, detail, uh, and accuracy, it has to be said as well. Um, Batman facing off with Bane and Superman facing off with Doomsday. Right. Let's just remind you how kind of shitty the 1990s were. Yeah, although, to be fair, Legacies really made me feel like the 1930s were pretty shitty as well, so... I... Oh, no, oh, no, trust me, you, you, should, you should pick up this new issue and, um, and uh, relive the 90s. Relive the moments where Superman... Punched Doomsday so hard until they both fell down, and people said things like, "You must survive ice. It cannot end like this." <laughs> yeah. See, this is the thing. Like, I don't know. Did you somehow like dress that up in your imagination? Because I mean, admittedly, that, that the '90s were better, or that the earlier issues of the book were better. No, no, no. That the '90s were better because I remember. Oh, no, being... I, I, re- I remember the '90s not being good. And uh, as we said, I also recently reread The Return of Superman trade which is like 72 years long yeah sort of my collection it's like the world's longest trade paperback yeah 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 it's kind of staggering yeah because um, they did that whole like it was like the yearly it was yeah, like a weekly superman comic and they did it for for six months yeah yeah which is you know looking back on it both awesome and terrible <laughs> um but no and i reread that recently but as i said that was better than this mm-hmm I'm not saying it's good because it's not, but um, but there's so, there, like there is something wonderful about how Legacies is totally channeling like not the best of 1990s comics, but the blandest of 90s. <laughs> the the nineties of the ninety comics. But um, but here here's my favorite thing because it's completely inexplicable to me. So DC Legacies has been really really good um, with their continuity mm-hmm. up until this issue when. They screw up Green Lantern continuity in the weirdest way. Um, the opening of the issue is, and right, this is taking place in the 1990s, where, like, you know, Batman's getting his back broken and everything, and, and Superman's dying. By a page given over to the fact that John Stewart has taken over as Green Lantern. Anyone who read Green Lantern comics in the 1980s. Knows yeah. that that happened in the mid, like ten de- ten years before that. Yeah. yeah, and most surreally, in a series of issues written by Len Wein, who writes DC Universe <laughs> Legacies. <laughs> That's what sticks out for me. Like, not only is it completely like in the wrong time frame, but he wrote it. You think he would know what happened? It happened before the Crisis of Infinite Earths, which happened two issues ago in DC Universe. Legacy. Whoa, wait, did it? Because. Yeah, it did, because Hal Jordan was, had not only given up being Green Lantern, but decided he wants to be Green Lantern again mm-hmm. by Crisis, because right. the end of Crisis was him becoming Green Lantern again. Hmm. Or the, the end of the, the Green Lantern tie-in, I should say, is him becoming Green Lantern again. Interesting. Hal, Hal Jordan had been replaced by John Stewart before the Flash's trial for murder had started, which was at least a year before Crisis. Yeah, but it sort of comes and goes. Didn't John Stewart come in during like the oh he he was Engelhardt like, Gibbons no, no. era and stuff like that? That that's the Whedon Gibbons era, my friend. Oh, that's, is it Whedon? That's, and then that's it gets my passed point. off. It, okay. Yeah, but that seems to me later than Crisis. No, that no because Crisis went straight into Engelhardt and Satan doing Green Lantern Court. Hmm. So. So again, I, I have no idea why why there was a page given over to something that's so utterly weirdly out of continuity. Right. 
Because it's an entire page. It's not just an offhand comment. <laughs> it's an entire page. Maybe he wants to get him in there. I mean, you have you to think explain. He would have done it like two issues ago. Right, back when they were covering the 80s, just, I guess. This yeah. actually happened, yeah. Well, this I, is... I'm fairly sure that John Stewart as Green Lantern appears in earlier issues. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course he does. Uh why 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 this legacy i mean why what's the it sounds like it's sort of a a history of the dcu sort of thing but doesn't the dcu make no sense once you try and break it down by well legacies actually makes no sense as a comic which is one of the reasons why i love it legacies (laughs) is no because the problem with legacies is legacies says Mm -hmm. if you believe this story um that's this guy was a child in the 1940s when the Justice Society was around. Right. He was maybe 10. Mm-hmm. And if we're going by, like, current, like, continuity, mm-hmm. let's say the Superman got his back broken, what, let, this century at least. Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay? I mean, right. So this guy is now maybe... He looks... Let's be generous. Late 40s? <laughs> But it gets better. But the whole thing is told from the framing of today. Right. Where he is an old man. Right. So somehow in the last, you know, in the 60 years between, let's say, mm-hmm. the Justice Society coming around and Superman getting his back broken, he is aged 30 years. Right. But in the 10 years between Superman getting his back broken and today, he is aged an additional 30 years. <laughs> See, this is why I always have problems with these things. I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't. You know, half the time they... <laughs> exactly. It's like, the, the framing is, it makes no sense. Um, but also, I mean, what it really is, is a, an incredibly ill-advertised um, celebration of DC's 75th anniversary. Oh. Which, let's face it, has pretty much gone by entirely unnoticed by DC. Right. I I am I am kind of stunned that they did nothing for it. Well, they have Paul Levitt's I mean, they, Paul Levitt's sized book, I think. That's... Which is not published by DC, it's published by Tashin. Oh, they also they, D, what DC Comics did was they had some variant covers. That's it. <laughs> which is amazing. It's their 75th birthday. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they are officially the oldest comic company because Marvel can't fake their numbers again and go, "We're 70 years old" like they did last year. <laughs> Also, I'm really looking forward to next year where Marvel claims to be 50 years old. Wow. But you don't remember in 1986, Marvel's like, we're 25 years old. And then in 2009, they're like, we're 70 years old. <laughs> but that's how Marvel rolls. I, I fully <laughs> expect that, them to be celebrating year, their 10th next anniversary year. next year. No, but know? next year they'll be like, we're 50 years old. Because they'll be like, it's 50 years since Fantastic Four came out. And that was the first Marvel comic. And then right. everyone will be like, but wait, two years ago, you were 70 years old. And they'll be like, no, true believer. <laughs> Not anymore. We're 50. Okay? 50 this year. Five years ago, we're 75. <laughs> you know, I don't understand why Marvel can't count. They, like, screw up these, like, or, I mean, like, we're pretending that it's, that they can't count. I, I just, I. No, Marvel can't count. I was, the Marvel keep pretending that we can't count, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's the 150th issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. No, it's not. No, no, it's not. Wow. That's just, like, really? Like, I... But no, so I'm really surprised that DC completely fucked up their 75th. Although, at the same time, I'm not, because uh, DC's had a, an interesting year of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Did you, did you see Heidi's thing on, on the beat yesterday? Uh, I don't know. I did not, which is interesting, because I normally follow. Let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah, she's basically uh, noticed who's going where and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so art has been reorganized under Mark Chiarello, who's gotten a promotion. Right. Production and manufacturing been reorganized under Alison Gill. Editorial, including Vertigo and Mad, have been reorganized under Bob Harris. Apparently, the reprint department has been scaled back, and there's talk of major changes there. Mm. Licensing, special projects, and online are all going to Burbank. Right. Um... Bob Wayne seems to be reduced somehow, but his sales thing is still going in New York, and there's now a whole new talent relation and services department. Hmm. Talent relation and services department. Yes. 
and that's which is is um let's see she's got a copy of the letter that went out it basically says it's the editorial administration. It's a new name for the editorial administration thing. We will be your first point of contact for everything from rate questions to workload concerns to convention travel. Hmm. So, I mean, DC's had a really interesting year. For all the... It's funny because you keep on thinking, or at least I keep on thinking, DC didn't have like a massive shift mm-hmm. after Diane Nelson came in. But then when you look at it, they've had a really fucking massive shift. It's just been really quiet. It's been quiet, Bill. And some of this stuff was relatively recent too, a lot a lot of it seems to have happened in the like, last two weeks or at least a lot of the promotions and um, yeah. details have come out in the last two weeks exactly exactly so but but yeah it, it seems to have been like a year of complete uncertainty that is now coming into a new focus but it's the changes seem to be significant yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see how they play out there's a there's a couple of them that seem sort of it was kind of great seeing Karen Berger's name, um, you know, bandied about very prominently. Sort of made me think, like, <clears throat> maybe she won't be leaving as soon as, as some people had speculated. And, of course... Well, uh, what I'm seeing yes. uh, from... Oh, no, just from the, the recent... Remember, there was a, the press release last week where Rob Harris is like, and now Ian Sattler's whatever he is, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, the mention of Karen Berger and that and the mention of... I just feel like Berto's getting a lot of mentions. Mm-hmm seems to me to be like a reassurance that they're not just going to fold it into DC like they have done Wildstorm. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I hope that's what that means and that, that she uh, also has like a, a place in that. So um, I, I think that's great. And, and Mark Chiarello, I don't know. Is that the way to pronounce his last name? Mm. Maybe. <laughs> uh, him uh, it, it, as art and talent is, is, is kind of, Pretty great news, I think. Um, I'm pretty excited to see where that's going to lead. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm really, really happy that he's. If nothing else, just getting the recognition. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, he's I, always kind of had the recognition, but mm-hmm. I don't know, getting the title maybe as well as the recognition. Right. Yeah, I think think the title and well, hopefully the influence. That's kind of what I, I'm sort of hoping is is that there will be a certain amount, of, or maybe he always had more influence there than uh, than than I, than I was aware of. But certainly, when you see the the jump between DC's regular talent and what what was being for, put forward on Wednesday Comics, it's I think it's pretty exciting. So um, yeah, we'll see. DC has had a weird year. They I, I and it's been see... it's been a really it's been a really bad year. Do you know what I mean? Like I wish that they could have done something with their seventy fifth to seem triumphant, as opposed to I don't know. I just felt like DC's been lurching this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, Brightest Days are hits, and, and Blackest Night was definitely a hit. Mm-hmm. But, um, and the Batman books have been hits. But well, I feel, I feel uh, even with that, DC has been A, very quiet, and B, really feels like it's been put through the ringer this year. Yeah, well, they seem on the ropes, because the, they've done a decent job building up their franchises uh, and, and their events, but... But not very good at bolstering up their line. Their line just seems really weak, I think. Like, you can see once you get outside the Batman franchise and the Green Lantern franchise and the ongoing Darkest Night, Brightest Day events. I mean, is it just me or isn't there, like, a pretty substantial drop-off, you know? Yeah, and and also, I think things like the Superman franchise is badly broken. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think I think as lo- as long as that remains broken, it's going to be a black eye. The the fact that there are only first of all the fact that there are only two Superman books uh, and only one of them features Superman mm-hmm. is not a good sign. Do you know what I mean? Like when there is something ridiculous like six or seven ongoing Batman books starring Batman. Yeah. But his sales support it. I mean, the the problem no, is no. they can't get the sales on Superman to to save their life. Really, I mean. Yeah, but the, but the, part of the problem is no one seems to know what to do with Superman anymore. Well, uh, well, there are people who step forward saying that they know, such as JMS, and and clearly the marketplace and, doesn't and show again, that. And again, I say no one seems to. Know yeah, what to exactly. Do. No, well, exactly. Right. It's it's kind of uncanny to me that DC could honestly think. Well, ignoring the quality of JMS's story, uh-huh. stripping Superman out of Action Comics, 
and having the sole Superman monthly comic that they're putting out be a story in which he walks across America mm-hmm. is a good move for the franchise. It stuns me that some that they thought, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not great, but, you know... Even, it's... even if that was the greatest story ever, ever made in comics. Well, you, but... need a Superman, you need a Superman comic where Superman does superman things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there needs to be a comic that someone who thinks, I loved Superman as a kid, I'm going to pick up a Superman comic, can pick up, where Superman will, hey, fly, and maybe beat up a bad guy. Right. Do you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. strikes me as a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I on the one hand, I agree with you. I think what they were doing was they were clearly breaking open their old dusty playbook, and it was like, you know, this kind of worked when we did it with John Byrne back in 80-whatever-it-was. We're going to give it a shot now. Of course, Byrne was prolific enough to, to prop up two titles, and then they could create a third for, for Wolfman and Ordway that would work closely with them, and it's like, you know, they were set. Yeah, but also, Burton g- gave Superman being Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, like, I, I like his Superman was a yuppie asshole, but... Right. But it, he, still he had the Superman out. stuff completely. Yes. Absolutely. There was a lot of punching, and he did a great job of like making sure that his, his outfit got torn so he, Superman really looked like he was scrapping. No, I, I agree with you, but I, I can see where they're kind of... They did this thing, and, you know, they just... They just they, they put all their eggs in in one basket. Oh boy, here comes my my mega blur of metaphors, and went for a hail mary, you know. And the JMS was probably like, "I'll do this, but I can only do this, this, and this." He was probably super upfront and said what he wanted to do for their his idea, and they were kind of like, "Okay," like they probably had dumped a whole bunch of money to lure JMS away from Marvel and and into the fold. You know, in theory, to to whatever extent the stories are to be believed, part of that was to get him doing the Earth One title, uh, and then they wanted something else that for him to work on. And you know, he he put down these these various rules, and then it just it didn't it didn't pan out. Like, you know, I I can see where there's, I don't think my my personal suspicion is is that Superman titles are going to sell a whatever it is 30,000 in the marketplace no matter what's going on kind of and you can you can goose those things you can goose those numbers up maybe somehow everyone's still trying to figure it out you know apart from something like All-Star Superman you know uh and I I think they're still trying to figure out how to make that happen but I I can see in a way like having Superman just be in one title and okay admittedly it's a boring storyline but at least there's not the you know sometimes it's not a smart idea i think to take to have the marketplace try and cram a character down the throats of the readership when the readership just isn't feeling it you know what i mean like I, i think there's a lot to be said for letting uh letting Superman fade into the background, let us miss him a little bit, and then when somebody's got the awesome fucking take, that might actually goose those numbers up. You know? To be honest, if it was anyone other than Superman, I think I'd agree. Mm. I think Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman are so important on a corporate level for DC right? that you can't really let them disappear into the background. Well, it depends on what you mean by the background. I mean, certainly if those if those titles were dropping below, but I mean, you know, Wonder Woman's a great example of that. Wonder Woman does fantastic, you know, franchisability business because she's a, one of the few recognizable superheroes. But that she hasn't sold a book in like forever. Yeah, I mean, the longest time I know. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of to me. There's sort of a way of like. You know, she's been in the background, and there are times where she emerges from it, and it sort of works and sort of doesn't. And you know, but sometimes there are times where just stop trying. You know what I mean? Like let 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 people remember that they like the character rather than feeling that the character is something that's being inflicted on them. I kind of think that's one of the things that was kind of a smart choice when. Thor disappeared from Marvel and was actually gone for a while so that when the character came back it was a big deal 
you know, and and frankly, you know, again, it, whatever else was going on with JMS, he moved th- those that book started, I think, started okay and continued to sell better as time went on, which is not usually the you know the marketplace is usually has a an attrition based model, so that was pretty rare. I can see. DC looking at Thor and going, oh, if we could get him to do that with Superman, you know, a character, you know, like we would be, we would be set. But I think it's, it's precisely DC's um, tendency to think like, oh, we have to, we have to make sure that Superman is first and foremost in the marketplace. I mean, look at, look at with uh, For Tomorrow, where it's like, hey, Brian Azzarello and Jim Lee and... You know, this is going to be, and of course, I mean, admittedly, that character might as well have been walking across America considering how boring he was, but the idea was like, oh, we get the talent and they'll make it work. They seem really incredibly resilient to the idea that there's going to be talent that gets Superman and talent that doesn't, you know, which again is part of why it's so heartbreaking that Wade wasn't allowed to do, you know, did, did Superman birthright and just has not, you know, you know, his, his, his ideas that he and Morrison had, you know, and I guess Miller, I guess, was that sort of a, the brain trust of like, and, and Tom Pear as well. And Tom Pear. Yeah. That they weren't going to get their shot at it. And we're pretty much told they would never get their shot at it, which, you know, is, is pretty it's, brutal. It's kind of funny that, um, I feel like it used to be maybe a two or three years ago, maybe more. Miller was the one that everyone was like, He's got this great Superman idea, and he'll never do it. And it's you know, comics great love story. And now it feels like Wade has taken that role. Mm. Wade has taken the he'd make everything okay with Superman, but he's never going to get a chance. Well, I think because after looking at what Miller has done, like I think there's a lot of people who are kind of like, yeah, let's not let him handle Superman. You know what I <laughs> yes, mean? Like I, I, I've read Superior. Let's <laughs> not give him. Let's not give him Superman. Exactly. I mean. Let's just, Let's just pretend he doesn't exist. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was interesting was I, I sort of feel like there's been this this uh, uh, consensus about Miller going around on on the the Twitter net. That's kind of the idea of like sort of like well say what you will, but that man knows how to sell a book or come up with a great idea. Like there was a lot of, I get this feeling that there's a lot of civil war nostalgia in the air recently. Do you think that's true? Or is that just me misreading the situation? I think, I think you're just, you're just misreading the situation. Civil war nostalgia. Yeah, uh, definitely. No, no, I don't think so. I, but here's the thing for all my problems with Miller, which I think we'd, we could, you know, power the internet for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> It's true that he, A, can come up with a, a high concept mm-hmm. very well, and B, I think he's really good at titles. People, lots of people took me to task on this on Twitter when I was like, Kapow is a terrible, terrible, terrible name for a, 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 a convention. Right. And I was like, you know, he used to be really good at titles. What happened? And everyone was like, he came up with, God, what was the thing that he came up with? Clint. Clint. And I was like, sure. But he also came up with Superior and mm-hmm. Kick-Ass, Chosen, Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the middle of world books never came out run, which I think is a, still a spectacular name for super speeds. Yeah. Series. That is a great, great title. Yeah. Um, I think he's really good at titles. Civil war actually, of course, is a perfect title too. And so like, I was really surprised that people were like, no, he's never been good at titles. Like, no, he's, that's one of the things he's good at. He's very good at that. Um, I mean, he's, he's best at, getting people to talk about something and then pretending that he's hearing it for the first time, which is like his shtick. <laughs> no, but it is. Like, he's, 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 he's demonstrably done this, like, throughout his career. Oh, completely. Yeah, so yeah, he'll yeah. give an interview and he'll be like, yeah, and next week, DC have asked me to completely restart all of the Superman books and I'm going to be doing it with Leonardo da Vinci that they cloned and I'm so excited. It'll be the greatest thing ever. And then it'll be reported. And then someone will say, you know, and then Mark Miller, you know, have you heard Mark Miller's doing this? And then he'll link to that and he'll be like, holy crap, How who came up with this terrible idea? This is amazing. I, I wish this was true. And you're like, seriously, follow two ways back. You're, it's you. It's yeah. you. You did it. Like his, his, um, the wanted Eminem. Oh, I know. Brilliant. Thing. It was the funniest Brilliant. thing in the world. Because yeah. he was like, give me all the news. Eminem, ask for a copy. Yeah, he's stuck to Universal right now. Right. Cut to two weeks later. I don't know who linked to Eminem was asking for a copy. 
said like a year later. I never said Eminem was asking for a copy. I don't know where that came from. It's wonderful. Like he's really good at that. He really is, particularly in that one because they did like the Hollywood trades actually reported that Eminem expressed interest, and I was like, wow, really? You guys really went with this based on just what this guy said? Like, yeah, no, he's totally got the he's got the brass ones when it comes it, it to, helps to press that, treatment. It helps that he has friends in the press who will happily plant those stories. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it helps that he has people who can be like, have you heard that Mark Miller is doing this? Because he probably called them up one night drunk and was like, ah, it was a great idea. Yeah, you have you have experience with that. You almost got dragged into the inner circle there. Oh, I got dragged into the inner circle for two seconds. For two seconds? He, he, he forgot that he didn't like me. That's all I have. I don't think that he forgot. This, I think this, it was this that was classic. back. This was back when I was a mover and shaker. I and I before I, I stepped off that crazy Orla gig. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, I was useful to him then. Right, exactly. And that was the point where he's like, "This will be perfect." I mean, not only were you useful, but it's that that awesome. Like, if he gets you on board, it's that classic. Like, hey, it's the FF and Doctor Doom fighting together. You know, kind of thing. No, I don't. Yeah, arch enemies it, now it, allies. It, it, if he's the FF, I am Pace Pete. I'm fast. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Like you were his sort of the his his internet nemesis. There's there's uh, still someone on Miller World who every single time someone says something uh, bad about Mark Miller is like, I bet it's Graham McMillan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 hilarious. I kind of want to join Miller World. And be like, do you really think I have that much spare time? <laughs> Honestly, I just, I remember someone saying that to me and I was like, this is hilarious. Yeah. Like, it's kind of embarrassing as well, but. Oh, yeah, I, definitely. I but it. it was great. It was great. I mean, it, it's paid some very weird dividends uh, for you um, and some attention I'm sure you would have preferred to do without. But. Oh, yeah. It still makes me chuckle. So. Uh, so he, here's a question. Yes. Did you hear how Shadowlands, the Daredevil crossover ended? Uh, not really, no. I remember reading Carla's, um, uh, column about it on Robot 6, I want to say, and barely sort of figured out what Matt Murdock, this is great. Tell me how off the base I am. Of course, Matt Murdock has become possessed by the Beast, and at the end, Elektra has him kill himself as part of this purification ritual and he is essentially born again kind of the same way that Electra was at the end of Frank Miller's original run and he sort of like you know sort of out in the the has has climbed the wall so to speak but now there's nobody in Hell's Kitchen I think you're entirely right really yeah but really I, I both love and hate that blood. <laughs> because when I think of Daredevil, I think of a man getting literally possessed by a demon. Because metaphor isn't enough. He's been metaphorically possessed by demons for years. And that, that didn't go far enough. So now he's literally possessed by a demon. And not only that, he literally gets born again. Right. Do, you see what, do you see what they've done there? They've yeah. taken it to the next level. Yeah, they have. They totally have. Uh, and I mean, that's, I mean, that's really, on the one hand, it's ludicrous. Um, I don't know that like kind of inspired and ballsy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm really down with that. You know, I, I read the first couple of issues of, of Diggle's Daredevil and I thought that he was doing a, a really fun job sort of walking that tight line, that, that tightrope of like, you know, is Matt going to like fall off or not? And I thought that that Shadowland was a very clever way to to have the cake and eat it too in a way that everyone seemed to find really exasperating. I didn't I didn't read it, but I thought the idea of I could see the pitch of it. I thought it was was smart. And uh as I think as I as I believe Carla pointed out in her essay, you've got the chance to 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 kind of break out of that cycle of Daredevil being, you know, uh, the man without joy, I guess, you know, and, and have him come back and have it be something else when he comes back, whether or not they'll actually pull that off or they'll do something about that. I mean, like you said, it's 
half exasperating, um, but but there's something kind of clever in it, and I think it's um, it's stupidity done right. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I'm glad you think that. I kind of just think it's stupidity. <laughs> like I I love it because it's stupid, but also I think it's just stupid. Just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's just I think it's one of those. I think it's what happens after you run Daredevil into the ground and keep going, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, but to me, there was kind of that idea of, like, they found the way out. They didn't pull a whole... I mean, it's... They were able to move through turning him into Parallax and having him possessed by Parallax in the same miniseries rather than, you know, having to, like, try and do that ungainly retcon fix, like, years later. You know, um, so at least I feel like there's the possibility that that they've changed the game, and they did it in a way that, that, that which is to be laudable, and they did it through the course of story rather than just sort of offhand hand waving. I love, love, love the idea that we're using parallax like a a, a, a gauge. You're like <laughs> they, they did it a parallax. They did the full parallax in one series, <laughs> not a half parallax. They it's went true. They, they went, went for the, the full parallax. <laughs> I, I please, internet, start using that term for anything. <laughs> well, start using it like incorrectly as well. If people could be like, oh, did you like that movie? Yeah. What did you think of Tron Legacy? I thought it was the full parallax. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of the case. Maybe that is the case. Maybe, right? Jeff Bridges. Oh, Tron Legacy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That trailer, man, I'm telling you. There's After seeing the trailer, I both really want to see the film and never want to see the film. Yeah, I... Because, like, I'm like, that will probably be a visual spectacle. spectacle. That will probably be stunning. The idea of seeing that in IMAX and 3D, that'd be great. However, if they could do it with the sounds turned down, I would be perfectly happy with it. <laughs> the bit where, like, it's it starts and it's, like, the young kid and he's like, hey, Dad, let's play a team tomorrow. And, like, weirdly dead-eyed computer-generated Jeff Bridges turns back and he's like, we've always been a team. Don't look too close at my face. It might melt. And it's just... <laughs> it's kind of like, wow, I'm so glad technology is almost there. Because it's not. It's, it's, like, it's so close. Yeah. But then you look at the eyes and you're like... That's a creep. Like, that's Yul Brynner in Westworld. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's something off. Just something... Something off. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, we're in the drawn world. Zoom. We've got the crazy things with the bikes. And it's like, I've seen that. I saw that in the first try. Yeah. Well, which... And frankly, that's sort of why I don't have much of a... Although I feel like they did it kind of weird. Like, watching the light cycles in Tron... I'm like, wait, they can actually, you know, they can actually do curves? Like, that makes no sense to me, you know? Like, I'm sort of like, doesn't that miss <laughs> the point? Every, everything else makes sense to me about Tron. But when that bike does a curve, I'm like, what the fuck? Well, no, no but you know what I mean? Like, That's it's, not how computers work. <laughs> yes, Graham. That's my problem, is technical things. <laughs> It's purely the issue of the physics. No, no, no. I mean, one of the things that's awesome about the, the light cycles in the first Tron is they can only make, you know, right turns. Like, you know, they can only turn it at sharp angles. That's sure, what's kind of weird and cool about them. Sure, but I can also understand that at some point in the last 20 years, you know, they fixed that. Yeah, but that sucks. You know what I mean? Like that kind of to me, I, maybe maybe it would be more exciting when they're all jumping around. I mean, that's that's the point of the trailer is like they're showing off the fact that th- there are now three dimensions that they can be boring in. But I mean, it's just like that to me. That, that, has that, no that is actually the slogan of uh, Disney 3D now. <laughs> that would be a worthwhile one. It really would be. It might take them off the... the like, uh, Disney 3D, three dimensions to bore you. <laughs> the third dimension is your wallet. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and I... The fourth I, dimension I, is your sadness. <laughs> okay, that's a keeper. Yeah, no, I, I just... I, I have no interest in Tron. I, I remember seeing Tron at the time. I might have even seen it twice through that sort of teenage entropy. That one has. I was gonna say, are, are you not actually? And 
absolutely no offense too old for tron nostalgia though like were you not at a sensible age when you saw tron uh, oh you're I, saying I, that... I i think tron nostalgia works in the same way as star wars nostalgia is, as in you have to have seen it at such an age where it wasn't just a film but it was like the film do you know what I mean? I think you have to have been like five when you saw Tron and been like, holy shit, my mind is blown. Right. That could be. I, I think that's the only way Tron nostalgia works because Tron is not that good a film. Like, it's no. so funny to see all these people on, on the internet going, I can't believe they're not really, really Tron and Blu-ray. And the reason they've done that is Tron is not that good. Yes. If you watch Tron and Blu-ray before going to see Tron Legacy, you might not go and see Tron Legacy. <laughs> Completely. Wait until... After you've seen Tron Legacy, and then there's the Tron Blu-ray. So yeah, exactly. So they can get you twice. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I'm well aware, because at the time I was like, eh. So, I mean, for me, it's like, but I guess that's the thing that I find fascinating is, is like, if you're going to, and admittedly, I did not pay attention to uh, the video games that everyone lost their mind about that, that were actually pretty good a couple of years back, um, that, that, followed up on the world Otron and, and revisited that stuff. I don't remember what the games were called, of course. I, I think there was more than one of them. They were called Tron Tron and Tron is Tron. <laughs> Tron and Tron. <laughs> I think it's kind of awesome that you can play the Tron game like on Flash now. That's pretty exciting. Uh, terrifying, but pretty exciting. Uh, I, I don't know. I just For me, I'm just sort of... Uh, it, it's just one of those weird choices. It's like if they remade Star Trek and then the Vulcans had rounded ears now, you know? Like, I'm just like, no, the light cycles... It's all about circles for you, isn't it? Hey, it is. Also, Jeff, spoiler, they remade Star Trek last year. Yeah, and as I recall, Spock's ears, still pointy, Graham. You know? The Enterprise, it didn't turn into a boat, you know? That's, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Hey, you've just ruined their follow-up. Star Trek 2 now it's a boat <laughs> the wrath of boat the wrath of boat <laughs> hmm. it's one of those moments you're going to have to edit because we both laugh for a bit too long <laughs> you think? yeah everyone's yeah, like, everything goes quiet because we're just laughing <laughs> <laughs> anyway well are there any holiday movies you're looking forward to seeing? Uh, no. Although I will admit it's it's out already, but um, I have been reading and hearing wonderful things about Tangled. Oh yeah, Tangled. Yeah, very but good. I, I, like I've been hearing really, really good things about it, uh, and so I'm kind of curious now. Mm. You know what I heard really good things about, and finally uh, saw it's a little movie just came out. I know you've heard of it, but it's got it's really picking up some buzz. Uh, the Social Network. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never heard about that. I'm so glad that you waited a couple of months to let everything die down before going and see it. Yeah, well, it's you know, really it's really good though, isn't it? Yeah, it was it was great. It really was great. Uh, just just kind of a, a, a for the type of movie that it is, it's a perfect movie. Um, also, I, now, now you have to uh, track down the script online um, because you if you read the script after having seen the film, you will see the changes, and why they're all for the better. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, like to, I would like to track that down. And, as long as I have the moment here, I bored some people on Twitter with this. I'm go- now going to take the chance to bore some of our podcast listeners on it. The thing that I thought was really... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that are very satisfying about it and enjoyable, but the thing that I thought was really funny and ballsy is that they took the story structure from Citizen Kane like and and lifted that for the social network and I thought that that was really funny and clever you know it's it's been a while since I've seen Citizen Kane but like sitting there in the in the movie theater and going oh wait like the whole idea of like I, he I've and his seen best this before <laughs> yeah is really like this is very strange you know there's a lot of very clever you know in the way that Citizen Kane is a fictionalized movie about a real figure um or or rather it's a you know it's a it's a fictionalized character based on a real person to see the social network be this fictionalization of a real person and take 
again the similar structure like i really wonder at what point in their like planning things out they were like yeah i basically decided to take the citizen kane story beats and use those for um this movie is is really like it's like a really weirdly witty choice i um i have to say i appreciated that but the that that aaron sorkin man he's he's not a dummy he is no dummy. Well, and the dialogue, it, it is one of those movies where between the direction and the dialogue, uh, it's its really great. That was really a terrific time in the theater. So, um, Also, I saw the anime movie Redline, which came back to, to new people for uh, uh, five days, and uh, based on things that, that people like David Brothers and uh, David Robson and a whole bunch of other Davids had said, uh, I decided to catch that. That I th- would be really curious to see what you think because the ending is very Graham McMillan, where the rest. Oh God! Of- what does that mean? Well, what do you think it means? I don't know, which is why I asked. <laughs> I'm kind of terrified <laughs> over the idea that something that something can be very mean. Okay. So, but the rest of the rest of the movie, I would have to say, is not one of the things that's really interesting about the movie is it looked it looked to me like it, it's this movie about a big interstellar race, essentially, and it's an it's an illegal race. So you open up with the, it, it, I mean, it's like you know the classic days of Speed Racer, like cranked up to thirteen, and you've got like powered rocket cars like flying over a desolate landscape but you know and this is this is the one of the qualifying races and it goes on for like 20 minutes and there's all this stuff thrown at you and and it really looked like then then characters started popping up that i'm like oh my god that looks so much like kirby like and the more i looked at it the more i'm like actually that looks like rick veach the way that rick veach does kirby and also his like similar line weight and i don't know i mean i'm i know that I don't have enough understanding of anime influences to know where they're coming from. I, I, it, it, my first thing was it sort of reminded me of, of Aeon Flux, you know, the old mm. MTV sure. animated thing. Um, but the but the really heavy line weights and then the strange Kirby designs and then the weirdly sort of alternating between like really grotesque faces and then strangely bland faces. I'm like, wow, this is very, very Rick Beach. None of that is the stuff that, that makes me think Graham McMillan. It's what it is, is that in a movie that is about an interstellar race, uh, uh, where there's like 9 million characters and everything's exploding. It seems like every four minutes, the very end of the movie is such a weird grace note. Um, it, and the reason why I think that it's very Graham McMillan is is that it totally issues sense for emotion, I guess. Um, oh, yeah, okay. So, and that that's why I think that it was, and I loved it. I really, I loved the the ending of it. The rest of it is like it's it's dynamic in, and you know, the plot is paper thin, and the characters are almost concave in a way. But the the joys of it are sort of that are very much like a good comic book. It's like oh, it's like that. It's like you recognize that story, but how's it going to play out? And it plays out in ways that are just more inventive and gaudy. And like I said, it sort of reminds me of Kirby because there's like suddenly characters are pulling you know technological devices out of their butt at the last minute to save the whole situation that like they didn't have before. You know, but. Really, just a great visual feast, and I would love, like I said, I would love for you to see it because that last forty seconds, like if it didn't work for you, I don't think that you would like the movie very much. If it did work for you, I think you would be really charmed. So I, I am going to add it to Netflix as we speak, sir. Yes, please do. Uh, the rumors are that it might actually be getting a slightly wider U.S. distribution release type thing. Uh, in in the next couple of months, so you might actually get a chance to see it up there in Portland, which is always a fine little experience. Um, and uh, I won't bother you uh, with talking about the five and a half hour version of Carlos that I saw. But, but bas- oh, and um, I, but I did see you talking about that on Twitter. That's when you were saying that I did have a chance to see it before you said social network. I thought you were going to go with Carlos. <laughs> 
Yeah, oh, sorry. I, I, I had to do the zag on that. Oh, but I also saw the informant last night, two nights ago. Oh, how was that? Really, really good. Uh, really kind of crazy. Like the first 30, like the less you know about that movie, the better off you are. Because the first 30, 35 minutes of it, you're just like, what the fuck am I watching? And it's really incredibly out of left field. Um, and the way that it builds on your expectations, uh, I, I think the the only thing that's sort of a problem with it is, is the last 20 or 30 minutes, you once you've caught on to what's going on, you really can see what's coming, I guess, as opposed to that first really kind of delightful 40 minutes where you're like, what the hell are they doing? And the soundtrack choices are great. It's, it's really an enjoyable film. That is one that you should throw on your old Netflix queue. Cause I think I, I, it is already on there. Oh, good. Excellent. Good, sir. It is there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So though, though that is my little, cinema. cause I'm remembering like, remember when Graham and I used to talk about the cinema? And of course I'm also, because I'm so desperately behind on both comics and comics news. I'm like, Graham, Graham, let's talk about something that I saw that isn't like, you know, six months old. Let's talk yeah, about I'm the social you, network, which is four months old. If it's not Christmas specials, that, then I'm not watching it these days. Oh my god! So, what are you watching? Uh, I last night we watched the um, Warehouse Thirteen and Eureka Christmas specials, both of which were much more fun than they had any right to be, as you said, <laughs> on sci-fi. Um, we also have Stolen Evil, the um, Glee Christmas special. Um, we have all manner of. Christmas cooking shows uh, because we're still on the cleanse. Don't forget. So, oh my God, you're still on the cleanse. How's it been? Like you're still There's... alive and moving. You sound fine. Yeah, it, yeah. It, we're we're at the halfway point today. Fabulous. Um, and it's it's going surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. I, I I will I will not deny it. Um, can, can you hear the dogs downstairs? By yes, way? totally. Yeah, I was going to say the dogs are totally going shit downstairs. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, the clients is going really well. It's we're we're settling into the routine of um, solid food being something that only happens one time a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst part is we get waves of pureeing vegetables to make something resembling soup that really looks more like baby food. Is not enough. Do you know what I mean? Like so, so you know, after like four days, we'll be like, oh god, <laughs> right. <laughs> But then we bounce back, so it's all good. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, you, do you do you have the 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 energy sort of stuff that uh, that I had on the other cleanse, or is it just more like oh, everything? I know I'm I'm fairly low energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. I am really impressed. You guys halfway through, Lord above, that's such a long time. I can't, I can't believe it. the idea of doing a cleanse for a full twenty one days is terrifying for me uh tell tell me about it (laughs) yeah i'm just like dude hats off to you let me ask you uh i i wanted to i thought about bringing this up because we had some very substantial conversations about glee on this podcast um and have not mentioned it as of late i have to admit that i jumped off about maybe two or three episodes into this season I, just, uh, I I would say it got its mojo back about three episodes ago. Really? Okay. Yes. Interesting. Um, and I can remember the first episode where I was like, "Huh, that was really good." Which surprisingly was the Gwyneth Paltrow stunt casting one. Yeah, a lot of people said that, and I was deeply suspicious. Um, so. The reason is it's the scripting. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is ever since I found out that apparently one person writes all of Sue Sylvester's dialogue, no matter who is credited as the writer. Uh huh. Every time that that person writes an episode, right. I paid that... attention, and he wrote the um, Gwyneth Paltrow episode, I believe. Oh, interesting. That that's is that Ian Ian? I yeah, it's Ian Brennan, I think. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's right. That sounds much closer to it. Yeah, um, he was one of the co-creators, and yeah, I read that little profile. I'm like. Um, but yeah, it, it's that was the first one back. They, they've been doing some interesting things. The Kurt bullying plot, which may or may not have started when you were still watching, mm-hmm. um, led to a very different place mm-hmm. that I was expecting, which I, I really appreciate. Um, which is, it led Kurt to go to a different school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, I, I'd heard secondhand that that was happening, which I thought could be kind of interesting, but... Because it was it looked 
very clearly like it was leading to Kurt is going to be seriously assaulted. Mm-hmm. Like it looked like it was going to go very dark for a bit. Right. Because the guy the guy was already saying, I will kill you. Right. So it looked like it was going to go very, very dark. Um, yeah, I would say it's really come back. Hmm. I think there definitely was a part where it was just like, oh, we're going through the motions. Um, but I, I think it's it's bounced back surprisingly strongly. Well, that's good. Because I remember, oh, you know what it was? It was the Britney Spears episode. Oh, the I one. liked the Britney Spears episode. Yeah, the fact that you liked the Britney Spears episode made me realize that I was just wildly out of sync with the show and people uh, who appreciate the show. Oh, no, the Britney Spears episode was, uh, in terms of tone, though, was, like, way too comedic and, and slapsticky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I like the Britney Spears episode, really, is that I really like Britney the character. I just think she's just amazingly stupid and almost any time she says anything I crack up yeah uh, and it's, it's all to do with her delivery I, I think she is wonderful delivering the stupidest lines ever yeah. um, but yeah it, it, I wouldn't hold that up as like a, a great example of the show being good oh okay okay um, and I think it has gotten good again oh well that's that's good to know I'm not sure if I can necessarily I'm not sure if I can believe you yeah, I'm, no, no, no. I'm not sure if I can really necessarily like wade into those waters again. I, I'm sure I'll check with Edie and oh, find out oh, that put, she's been watching it the whole time. But I don't think you're losing. I don't think your life is in any way the worse for not watching it. <laughs> well, true, true. That that is that is certainly the case. I, but this kind of it is kind of a shame because it's one of those things where it's like, hey, this is a show I'm watching and I'm enjoying weirdly despite myself and. And, and course, now I'm not. <laughs> and now I'm not. And once again, I'm out of the zeitgeist. Oh well. So yeah, I, I was. Uh, that was a very different case for me. Oh, so, start start watching Doctor Who. Yeah, you know, I I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. Okay, you start know. watching Doctor Who. But seriously, start with this season. This season? I thought I was supposed to start with last season. No, this season that, that just finished. Oh, they just finished, right, right. Yeah, yeah I probably should, because I think, think those are actually one of the Apple rentals that might be somewhat affordable. Like, I can actually rent them in a way that I don't feel like a complete idiot for doing yeah. so. because I think the earlier seasons, you might smile at, but not really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Put it this way, watch the the first episode of the last this season just finished. And if you don't like it, then you can pretty much give up on Doctor Who. Interesting. It's like it's like the devil's wager. All right, I I will do that. The last episode of this no, season. No, no, the first episode. The oh, first okay. Episode. <laughs> I was gonna be like, Graham, you totally lied to me. All right, first episode of this last season, which right, I'm sir. sure I'm sure has a name. Oh, hey, speaking of weird numbering, do you realize uh-huh. like we're dangerously close to? Uh, Wait, what twenty? Well, wait, what, 20? Yeah, exactly. But when you break it into pieces, like 50 installments, I think we will cross that line. No, really? Yeah, if you, like, jump over to iTunes, we have something like 45 different entries, 46 different entries. That's a bad sign. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Things will never never be the same. (laughs) It's not like one of us is going to like. I in that case, I hope this is the forty ninth episode that we're recording right now. Uh, oh, okay. Well, maybe I can, you know, because here's here's my thing. Mm-hmm. I know what we should do with a Christmas episode. Yes. We should do the best and worst of the year. We should do a year year retrospective. Of of our podcasts. Of comics. Oh, oh I was about podcast. to say we don't even remember what we say in these podcasts, no, that, Graham. No, that, that would be that impossible. Would, that would be a problem. And, uh, I don't know if you saw on Twitter the other day. I was uh, Sonia was. Go- I said, "Oh, I think this is the, the podcast I was mentioning. The one's got I was talking about fractions, Iron Man." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Oh, it's part three. Should I download parts one and two? And I was like, "No, <laughs> there, there's no continuity there, my friend." <laughs> oh my god, Jeff! Jeff, this will. Oh no, it won't. Oh, what? Because there's there's last week's podcast that we we're on like episode fifty three or something. We we are. Oh well, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Because no. there, there's forty seven there, and then there's the three episodes from last time. Yeah, exactly. Like we've totally overshot. Damn it! <laughs> 
I suppose I could try and, like, I don't know, uh, cheat the numbers, like, just jam. God knows last week's podcast was was kind of huge as far as content goes, so it's going to be absurd. The idea of trying to put that into one four-hour installment just so that we can cheat it and get to 49 this way would be nightmarish, my friend. Just nightmarish. And yeah, the music at the same time. Well, of course. That's kind of what we go for. Nightmarish uh- music.